brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to your favorite charity. No contracts, nationwide coverage, risk-free guarantee. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. We've heard it before and we are hearing it again now. The Synod is going to implement, quote-unquote, irreversible changes onto the Catholic Church. That's apparently what we're told is going to happen and that it's all apparently a good thing. That's if you believe that anything imposed by likely heretics is irreversible. But that's what they're telling us now, and I have it on video for you today. This announcement was made earlier this week at one of the Synod press conferences, and as usual, Diane Montagna, the Catholic journalist who is responsible for asking a lot of these hard questions, asked more hard questions to the Synod representatives. Miss Montagna asks Father Vimel Tremana about how some people who came to participate in the Synod have publicly said they want concrete changes to the faith, including on the James Martin sin and women's ordination, or even a change to how the church is governed, so that running the church doesn't require being a member of the holy orders. By now, I expect that Synod officials get wary when she begins asking questions at these press conferences, because her questions are always about the integrity of the faith and the preserving of the apostolic tradition. Watch for yourself, the exchange between her and the priest. Um, and in the discussions on the panel, I don't think, please correct me if I'm wrong, anybody here, you've only here you're only here today, there's not really any mention about um, divine revelation, apostolic tradition uh, being the foundation uh, and what the Catholic Church actually believes being the foundation of our communion. Um, so um, women's ordination has not been allowed by the church. Blessings just a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, the CDF came out with a document saying that the church cannot bless sin. Um, so how much is divine revelation um, and the apostolic tradition a foundation of, of these proceedings? Um, and what is your sense of the issues that I mentioned and how it's being discussed? Thank you. Could I just yes, of course. try to answer? Because inside your question, there are so many sub-questions. <laughs> I don't think I can address all of them. But the pointed one was, how much of divine revelation as well as apostolic tradition is contributing to these discussions? That was the way you wound up. If you have... Correct me if that is not the question. That was your question. The, uh, uh, part of means that's the highlight. After that, if I don't answer, you may ask again. The discussions are fully enwrapped, if not fully covered by both the elements of apostolic tradition. Actually, you can't divide revelation and apostolic tradition. Apostolic tradition is part of revelation. The Word of God, apostolic tradition, magisterium, these are all part of revelation. So, divine revelation is playing a leading role. In fact, when I was giving seminars in preparation for this uh, assembly, first assembly of the Synod, um, I was always saying, this is not something, as I am repeating, I know, this is not something that suddenly <clears throat> fell down from heaven or something that Pope Francis has invented. These are all based on divine revelation. The synodal way itself 
Okay, that's that's my first answer, the basic answer. But I thought you were aiming at other particular issues. You said, you quoted me saying that I said it was not to address particular issues, but the synodal way of life. I would answer that as my winding up response. Yes, I repeat that. This is not to address particular issues. Of course, there are, as you said very rightly, I don't know your name, I can't remember. Diane Montagna. <laughs> right, Tanya. You said very correctly, different people have their particular issues. They wish, I have my particular issues. I wish they are brought up. She may have, he may have, the other one may have. But let's not forget, we are here a communion of believers each one, if each one is going to give their particular issues, we won't end up. I mean, so those particular issues will be addressed, I assure you, although I'm not the Pope nor a bishop, but as an ordinary believer and as someone who is delving into Catholic tradition and Catholic traditional uh, history of Catholic tradition, I can assure you, once the firm foundation of the synodal life is laid, I repeat, once the firm foundation of the synodal way of life is laid, those things can be built up on that. In that sense, the most important thing is not to address whether a woman can be ordained. Not that they are not important. But if we are serious about a church, a universal church, a church that is worldwide, we have to lay a firm foundation that includes everybody's interests. So first we lay the foundation, the foundation of the synodal way, a synodal culture, a listening culture, a culture that includes, automatically these issues are bound to come sooner, if not later. Thank you, Professor. So yes, these issues are going to come up sooner or later. I don't think anyone disputes that these sins will come up in discussions in a world so wrought with sin and a church so assailed by heresy from both within and from without, that yes, these sins will be discussed and that there will always be people who want to change the teaching on them. But notice something here. In that clip, he said those issues can be built up. Before Francis okayed blessing James Martin pairings, I wouldn't have thought much of that statement, but now, after Francis gave in on that topic and did so in a very public way, I can only be left with the assumption that building up those topics means finding a way to accommodate the core concerns of those who argue for those changes in some way. Maybe we won't get a women's diaconate in an ordained sense, but some kind of quasi-ministerial third order may be created, something that mimics the lower orders of ordination that had been abolished by the council, but still persist, persist in traditionalist communities. Maybe they'll be reestablished in some form or another, but without the ordination character, and then opened up to both men and women, which won't solve the problem, but will compound it since it will fuel discussions about some people being treated as lesser than others by the church itself, because that's what happens when you give an inch. We'll see about that, of course. To understand what happened at that press conference, we need some context on the priest who told us all calmly that previously closed topics can be, quote, built up after synodal discussions happened. This context is much more bluntly problematic, as you'll see. Headline from the Redemptorist Scala News, the news site for the Redemptorist Order. Pope's synod reforms Irreversible, says Father Vimal Tiramana, CSSR. 
Now, this isn't the first time someone in the synodal process has said that the reforms Francis is inflicting upon the church are irreversible. They repeat this lie as a propaganda piece to try to get resistors and restorationists and other people who continue to rigidly cling to actual Catholicism to give up on the idea that the church can ever really be restored. They are true believers in their revolution in the church, and they are true believers in their belief that once Francis imposes this on the church, there will be no going back. The priest who had that exchange with Diane Montagna told us what he really thinks back in late May of this year in the lead-up to the Synod. From that article, quote, Father Vimel Tremana is one of the theological advisors to the Synod and a professor of moral theology who teaches in Sri Lanka and Rome. A leading Asian theologian says Pope Francis's decision to include non-ordained women and men as voting members of October's Synod Assembly is a, quote, giant step that will irreversibly change the church's decision-making processes. Last month, the Synod Secretariat announced the Pope had authorized a reform to allow at least 70 non-bishops to be members of the October 4th to the 29th Synod Assembly in the Vatican. This move will see women given a vote in a synod for the first time. Father Vimal Tramana is one of the theological advisors to the Synod and a professor of moral theology who teaches in Sri Lanka and Rome. Things will never be reversed again. It's a giant step, not a small step, he told a webinar organized by the Tablet on the Synod process on the 17th of May, 2023. Even if nothing happens in the rest of the synodal process, this particular fact that 70 non-bishops are going to be there is a big change. I don't think it can be changed. At last, what Vatican II wanted has been realized. The process has begun. Father Tremana, a redemptorist priest who was involved in helping to draft the Enlarge the Space of Your Tent Synod document, explained that Francis's reforms are a recovery of what took place in synods during the first millennium of Christianity. He pointed out that when Paul VI established the Synod of Bishops in 1965, he never ruled out that synods would evolve, with the possibility of them becoming, quote, synods of the people of God. The Pope's changes, he, the priest said, are an attempt to walk the talk of Vatican II, end quote. There really is no comparison to what the early church did and what this synod is doing. We get that much from an Eastern Orthodox bishop who is an invited observer at the Synod of Synodality and participates in the discussions. He bluntly said this about the synod, which I've reported previously, but bears repeating here. From the Catholic News Agency article on this, quote, Speaking to the Synod on Synodality on Monday, an Eastern Orthodox bishop said the definition of synodality of the October Assembly differs greatly from the Orthodox understanding. Metropolitan Job of Pisidia referenced the First Ecumenical Council, the Council of Nicaea in 325, and quoted from the Apostolic Canons, a 4th century Christian text on the government and discipline of the early Christian church. Drawing from this text, he said, quote, a synod is a deliberative meeting of bishops, not a consultative clergy laity assembly. In light of this, we could say that the understanding of synodality in the Orthodox Church differs greatly from the definition of synodality given by your present assembly of the Synod of Bishops, he added. The current synod now underway at the Vatican is the first of its kind to include lay people as full voting members. He quoted Apostolic Canon 34, reading that, quote, 
the bishops of the people of a province or region must recognize the one who is first amongst them and consider him to be their head and not do anything important without his consent. Each bishop must only do what concerns his own diocese and its dependent territories, but the first cannot do anything without the consent of all, for in this way concord will prevail, and God will be praised through the Lord in the Holy Spirit. The Eastern Orthodox bishop then said the following four points in light of this text. Point one. A synod is a deliberative meeting of bishops, not a consultative clergy laity assembly. 2. There cannot be a synod without a primate, and there cannot be a primate without a synod. 3. The primate is part of the synod. He does not have superior authority to the synod, nor is he excluded from it. And 4. The concord which is expressed through the synodal consensus reflects the Trinitarian mystery of the divine life. It is through this practice of synodality as described by the apostolic canons and the canons of the first ecumenical council that the orthodox church has been administered over the centuries until the present day. Although the frequency and constitution of the synods may vary from one local autocephalous church to another, he said, end quote. The apostolic canons he's referring to there are their equivalent to code of canon law. But in other words, the synod has little to nothing to do with what the early church actually practiced. I'm not surprised by that. Everything the modernists say came from the early church that they're doing doesn't. The early church kept this as a practice because the church was more decentralized during the time of the Roman persecutions, when the emperors were trying to bury the faith forever. It was a practice that held on to a degree for a few centuries thereafter, but was eventually abolished in the Latin West, but continued when the Eastern Orthodox went into schism. But it has nothing to do with the current practice Francis has foisted upon the church. But remember, the priest told us that this is in is fulfilling the wishes of Vatican II, which is probably also not true, since that council did not call for more lay involvement in the life of the church. And it certainly didn't call for blessings, sin, or the ordination of deaconettes, or priestettes, or whatever else nonsense the neo-modernists will come up with next. And I say that as someone who isn't a fan of Vatican II in the slightest either. Francis has been using Vatican II as his excuse for implementing more novelties on the church, which hadn't even been considered by the council at the time. And he does it now in the name of the council. What do you think, though? Are you surprised that the synod will be implementing irreversible changes onto the church? Or at least irreversible in the minds of the modernists? Let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to share this on social media, that helps too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.